Fired up, dude. You're listening to Here's the Catch with David Lombardi, Matt Barrows, and Dennis Brown on the Athletic Podcast Network. We move on to week two. It is officially Seahawks week. The 49ers are 0-1. They're trying to balance out the record against an old arch rival, and the Seahawks are coming off a big win. It's a win that I'm not so sure that they should have had, but the Broncos, boy, that was a wild one on Monday night. They settled for a 64-yard field goal with timeouts still in the bag and Russell Wilson as their quarterback. So, Matt, it was funny to me because for so many years we've been talking about Russell Wilson, Houdini Act, and the Seahawks finding ways to win in very Seattle-like ways, like when they get outgained by 200 yards. And Well, that's exactly what happened in this game, except that Russell Wilson wasn't their quarterback. Russell Wilson was the quarterback of the other team. So uh, the 49ers had hoped that the Seahawks' magic left with Russell Wilson, went to Denver with Russell Wilson, but it turns out that it didn't. It's still in Seattle, and now the 49ers have to beat a team that's not as talented as them, but definitely has some belief after week one. Yeah, and that was sort of the, the point that uh, Seattle really wanted to make. I mean, it was a big dispute between Russell Wilson and, and Seattle, the Seahawks, and who made uh, those those great Seattle teams great. And uh, obviously the, the, the Seahawks... Uh, Felt like they could move on without Russell Wilson, and that their their defense and their special teams, and just uh, sort of the the vibe, the charisma, the energy that those Seahawks teams have, uh, the culture that that Pete Carroll has built there c- can win the day. And you're right, that's exactly what happened. Um, they they kind of scrapped and, and clawed and, and got some uh, key stops and some key turnovers, and they got a win. Um, the question is whether they can sort of duplicate that magic on the road. Um, they used to be able to come into Levi's and kind of throw their weight around. Not as talented a team, Dennis, but um, they, they did seem to sort of regain that, that Seattle swagger that was so apparent uh, 10 years ago. I wasn't that concerned that the Seahawks would fall off that much because of their head coach. And, you know, we talk about Russell Wilson and, you know, the things that he's done, the Houdini and coming back from, you know, from a deficit and winning football games in the fourth quarter. But it all comes from the energy that Pete Carroll puts on that football team. And, you know, I think we saw it Monday night. You know, these these guys and, and Pete Carroll was my coordinator for for two seasons or three seasons. And his energy is is incredible. I mean, guys want to run through brick walls for him, and we and you saw it on the goal line, you know, twice, you know, getting the ball out, you know, and the, those are the big plays that Pete Carroll, the energy that he brings uh, to a football team, to a locker room, guys get excited to play for Pete Carroll. I mean, that that's the bottom line. So, you know, Seattle is Seattle. You know, Geno Smith is gonna is gonna go, you know, with his head coach. He's gonna have that energy, and you know, I'm watching Geno. And I'm thinking, is that Russell Wilson out there? The way he played on Monday night, I mean, it was it was pretty incredible to watch. And, you know, Russell Wilson was Russell Wilson. But, you know, that Seattle team is all about Pete Carroll. And as long as he's the head coach of that team, that team's going to bring energy to every football game. And they have a, the ability to win any game that they're in because what he brings and these guys believe in him, believe in his philosophy. And like I said, you want to run through a brick wall for him. You know, a lot of people forget Pete Carroll, born in the city of San Francisco, went to the College of Marin, 
and was the 49ers defensive coordinator, as Dennis just pointed out, 95 and 96. So, Dennis, the last two years of your career, I know you said you wanted to run through a brick wall from him for him, but it, any other memories? What was it like playing for Pete Carroll? Besides <laughs> all that energy that we see, what was it like uh, in the locker room with Pete Carroll? It's the energy. I mean, he's the only, only coach, coordinator that I've been with that after practice, you know, he would just sit around the locker room. You know, he was he was a guy that, you know, brought on uh, the idea with the 49ers to, to start catering dinners. You know, so guys stuck around and actually watched film because he would sponsor dinner, you know, every Wednesday night. And guys would sit around as a team, as a defensive unit, and he would just have another opportunity to coach you. And, uh, you know, like I said, he would, you know, after the games, he would be in the parking lot. He, you know, hey, what's going on? Where are you guys going? And we'll go hang out. Let's go do this. Because, you know, that, that's the energy that he has. It, it was, it was kind of irritating a little bit. But, you know, then you think, oh, this guy, you know, he's about the football. He's not about, you know, being the front office or, or the coaching staff. He's about the football. And uh, he's got a unique coaching style. And I think that's why he's been so successful is he's got that unique, I mean, you talk about a player's coach, you know, he's the epitome of it. I mean, he's a guy that wants to know what's going on with your family. He wants to meet your wife, you know, and, and, and he's about that. And, uh, you know, it was, it was incredible plan those two seasons with him. And, you know, of course he had Gary Plummer and he, and he brought over, uh, Kenny Norton Jr. But, uh, like I said, it's the energy. I mean, you, 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 it's, it's, it's rare to, to meet a coach that has that much energy all the time. And I don't know if he was an athlete or not, but, you know, he's he, he's going 100 miles an hour all the time. Do you guys know uh, who Pete was high school classmates with at, at Redwood High School in Larkspur? No. Not a football player. Fame, famous. He's passed away, unfortunately. Robin Williams. Really? I wonder if he, yeah, I wonder if he any, ever talked about that with you guys. I, I guess I guess you'd know, Dennis. But, I mean, yeah, Pete's been all over the place and, and obviously later took over USC for the decade and had the amazing run there. Uh, they were the top college football team in the country for a long stretch and then obviously won the Super Bowl with the Seahawks. But Matt, um, yeah, I mean, you've covered Pete Carroll teams, so not actually covered them, but covered the 49ers playing those Pete Carroll teams. Uh, you were on the 49ers beat before before me, but those, those 2012 to 2014 teams, especially for the Seahawks that Pete had going there, those were something else. I mean, I know the Seahawks are coming down here this time, but especially when you went up there, right, you could feel that energy. And he's been able to keep it churning. I mean, Shanahan now is what, like the fourth or fifth longest tenured coach in the NFL? It's crazy. And then you look at Pete Carroll. He's been there forever, and he's still doing it up in Seattle. Yeah, he turned 71. And uh, I remember just kind of the pregame stuff last year, 70-year-old guy. And um, he's he's winging the football around the field, um, you know. He, he's warming up. He just just what Dennis said. He sort of got this um, this boyish quality about him, and everybody makes fun of the the gum chewing and this that and the other. But uh, you know, it, it, it's clear. Dennis is right. I mean, this guy just exudes energy, and his team teams uh, pick up on that. So um, yeah, those uh, those early teams, you could even see it. In 2011, and the 49ers were ascendant in 2011, and uh, Carroll had just gotten there in Seattle, and um, you know, guys uh, that that came to be known as the Legion of Boom were um, had just been drafted, so they were young. But even that year, uh, they the 49ers got away with a win at home. Um, that was the Ted Ginn two two touchdown return game. 
And then that the the game in Seattle, I think the 49ers also won that one, but they only squeaked by. And after that, it's just been a dogfight, and and even less than a dogfight. Uh, some of these games have just been embarrassing for the 49ers over the years. Jeff Wilson was talking about really his first game. Jeff Wilson's going to start at running back for the 49ers on Sunday. And uh, the first game where he got extensive carries was a game in Seattle. Um, I think it was week 13 in, in 2018. He was a rookie. And uh, the, the 49ers just got killed 43-16. to 16. But Wilson was remembering that he made a lot of mistakes in that game, including a, uh, a pass route that he just cut off too abruptly. And uh, Nick Mullins threw the ball, and Bobby Wagner picked it off at the two. I'm sure a lot of 49ers fans weren't watching at that point because it was only something like five minutes left in the game. And Wagner, of course, returned it for a 98-yard touchdown. Uh, and Wilson's point was that you know that was his first time in an NFL game, and he realized through that game that he was not sharp enough. Uh, he didn't prepare well enough, and he was making mistakes one after the other. He's also running the ball really hard. Uh, but he's making sure, Dennis, that these young guys, Ty Davis-Price, Jordan Mason, guys that are probably going to get some carries. One of those guys is going to get carries on Sunday, his first carries in the NFL on Sunday. Don't make the same mistakes that Wilson did and that they're sharp, that they're mining their P's and Q's uh, Sunday because it's going to be, uh, you know, with a Pete Carroll team, it's going to be intense and they're going to put those guys to the test. Yeah, and, and that's what you need, right? You need those veterans that kind of been there and kind of done that and, you know, understand the game and understand that you can't let it get too big and you can't just get too hyped up. You got to, you know, it, 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 you got to have the focus. I remember Charles Haley used to say it's it, it's kind of like you're practicing, but it's for real. And, you know, you, you have to work on your technique. You have to understand that, uh, you know, you're in an NFL football game, but you can't get too, you know, get too hyped up. You know, you still have to be able to focus. And, you know, I just think back to, you know, my my first official start was against the Rams back in 1992. And uh, I can just remember, you know, hearing, you know, Pierce Holt had pulled his hamstring and I had to start against Jackie Slater. And, uh, and just, you know, just being focused and just understanding that, you know, you, you have to be accountable. I mean, you're on the football field. You've got a job. You know what you have to do. And, you know, and you've been playing football your whole life. You know, it's just the fact that everyone's at the same level now. And you, you, you have to understand that, you know, it's, it's NFL. And now, it, you know, it's your profession. And, you know, you have to take it and take your craft, you know, very seriously. But it's great to have veterans. This is why you need so many vets on the football team. I mean, just to, just to coach these young guys up. And kind of let them know, you know, this is it. This is the real deal. Either you do it or you don't do it. And in the NFL, you know, we always talk about it. Not for long. I mean, that's what it is. You, you, it's what you have. What have you done for me lately? And it's important to go out there and put good stuff on the tape. Well, speaking of putting good stuff on the tape, the 49ers are going to have to do it in the red zone against the Seahawks. They didn't really put too much good stuff on tape besides that Debo Samuel touchdown uh, in the red zone against Chicago. But one thing about Seattle, Pete Carroll, we talk about Seattle-style wins. Guys, it just seems that they, they pull a lot of rabbits out of the hat, right, over the years. And the, the one on Monday was another example. They were outgained by almost 200 yards by the Denver Broncos, yet somehow, someway, they win the football game 17-16. to And they actually made NFL history, the Seahawks did. They forced fumbles at the one-yard line on consecutive possessions. 
That that's that's never happened, and they recovered the fumbles as well. So Denver must be kicking themselves right now, not just because of the terrible sixty-four yard field goal decision, but because of the because of the fumbles at, at the goal line. And that's a been stuff like that has been a hallmark of Seattle defenses. They consistently are at or near the top of the NFL in red zone defense. Last year, they didn't have a great defense, but they ranked number three in red zone touchdown percentage allowed. And then obviously, the red zone touchdown percentage allowed was really good against Denver. So it's carried over into this 2022 season. And this is just, Matt, as we're talking about the 49ers struggling to put as many points up on the board as they should have put up on the board given the yardage they accumulated against the Bears. So this is going to be a big test for the 49ers. I expect them to move the ball, you know, I don't want to say with ease, but I expect them to move the ball again in this game. But I think it's going to come down to whether or not they can actually convert all that ball movement into actual points on the scoreboard, and that's something that Seattle is good at stopping. Yeah, that's a great point because that can be so demoralizing when you're when you're whipping up on a team like the 49ers were doing to the Bears, and and you look up and you're only up ten nothing, and um, you know a couple of freak plays happen, and all of a sudden you're down. And you're right, that's exactly how Seattle can and, and probably wants to win. And they're, they're good at doing it. I mean, uh, gosh, just look at the game in Seattle last year where right off the bat, kickoff, and the 49ers were down. There, there was a, I guess it technically wasn't a fake punt. It was counted as a run, but they uh, they faked the, the, the punt and, and scored a touchdown there. They can do it a lot of ways. And that's a good, uh, you know, a segue to bring up the fact, Dennis, that the 49ers have a brand new special teams. Uh, in fact, they've got the, the 49ers' former special teams coordinator and Brian Schneider. And I thought that that unit was looking really good. Um, not a lot of opportunities in the in the rain in Seattle, but I think that this is going to be a more aggressive special teams. And uh, I wonder whether um, Schneider is going to sort of uh, bring it out this week against his former squad. <laughs> well, you know, if, for sure, you know, he, he knows the weaknesses and he knows how to exploit and what to attack. But the one thing, you know, about the 49ers is, you know, they, you got to be more disciplined and, and especially against a, a Pete Carroll uh, football team. I mean, he he preaches discipline, you know, the little things, the details. And we saw against Chicago that the 49ers just had way too many penalties, especially in the second half. So, you know, it, it, you got to play discipline, disciplined football, especially in the red zone, you know, and, and you know, that's and we saw how important that is, you know, in that Monday night football game, you know, not to, 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 to lose ball possession on two consecutive, you know, opportunities to go into like on the one yard line. And then, you know, you lose, you take, you don't take it off the board, but you, you lose the opportunity for 14 points, you know, and the 49ers left a lot of points on the field, I think against Chicago. And, you know, the, the Seattle is one of these teams. If you go in there and you give them the opportunity to stay in the football game, and you don't play disciplined football, you're going to lose the football game. I mean, you have to come in very focused against this team because Pete Carroll, that's what he preaches. He preaches, you know, that discipline, that that those little small details, the fundamentals. Uh, and, and, and you're right, special teams. I mean, you know, the, for, the 49ers have been burnt on special teams. You know, I know, you know, there's new special teams coach, but you know they they they're you know they're open to that and and Pete Carroll loves taking those chances. I mean he loves he's a guy that likes taking chances and he does it on the special teams. So you know you got to come in you you can't have missed opportunities. You you got to put points on the board when you can. You got to put touchdowns on the board. 
you know, Robbie Gold is, is fantastic, but you're not going to beat the Seahawks with, with field goals, I don't think. So, you know, opportunities, you can't leave points on the football field, and you got to be disciplined. And you can't come in. I don't know what happened the second half. If it was the rain or whatever it was, it might be raining on Sunday. But you got to be disciplined, and you can't have all those penalties. Yeah, the, the chance of rain has actually increased over the course of the week to where right now it's at about 60% for Sunday. So it, it's not going to be the atmospheric river that we saw in Chicago. I mean, a little September rain in the Bay Area is usually fairly scattered if it does come. But still, I think the 49ers would just like it to be dry so they could properly evaluate where Trey Lance is right now because it got really, really hard against Chicago, especially late in that game with how much it was dumping. But, I mean, we talk about 49ers execution, and, you know, they did do one thing relatively well last week, and that's run the football. They had 176 yards on, what, 37 carries, 4.8 a pop. Those types of numbers, you know, you just blindly throw out there. I would say that 98% of the time, the team that puts those types of rushing numbers up wins the football game. So I think that just underscores how the 49ers blew opportunities at at key chances against Chicago. But that being said, Matt, if you go and watch the tape of the game, uh, that's one thing that I think Trey Lance is already making a very positive impact in the run game because – we saw it on the Debo touchdown. The defensive end for Chicago crashed and had to account for the potential of Trey Lance running the ball because Trey obviously had 54 rushing yards to lead the 49ers. So he's a threat there that's making defenses play 11-on-11 football. And I think in the larger scheme of thing, in the larger scheme of things, we're seeing Kyle Shanahan's vision uh, in the run game with Trey Lance. And I'm not talking necessarily when he's actually carrying the ball. It's when he's a decoy in there that's helping these young running backs and Debo Samuel out. And I think that's going to be something that we see week to week. That's going to be a staple of this 49ers offense. Yeah, it's a great point because uh, I think that the Bears, no matter what the, the weather was, were going to you know, stack the box and, and uh, try to play the run. And that was uh, even uh, emphasized even further when they realized it was going to be so sloppy out there. Uh, and then you saw sort of the, the 49ers still able to run the ball. What was it? 4.5, 4.6 yards a carry uh, with, with 37 carries. I mean, that's that's fantastic. Um, and then uh, you also saw the other element of that, which is Trey Lance being able to hit some of these throws over the top. And yes, he, he absolutely missed a wide open uh, Tyler Croft um, in in the first quarter, and that would have been one of those uh, scores that they left up on the board. He's got to do better on that. But he also hit three really good ones, and um, yeah, I, I don't want to uh, cast aspersions on uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, but um, I, I'm not sure he would have gone for all three of those. He wouldn't have uh, gone downfield as aggressively as Trey Lance did. So you saw that that dichotomy. Uh, okay, we're going to run the ball, and once you come up and try to stop the run, I'm going to hit um, Jawan Jennings deep downfield, Ray Ray McLeod, Brandon Ayuk. Danny Gray wasn't uh, in uniform for that that game, but he will be soon, uh, and that's going to be just a fantastic option for the 49ers. And the other part of that is that, you know, I just mentioned Bobby Wagner a little earlier, Dennis. No, no Bobby Wagner anymore uh, on this uh, Seahawks defense. I mean, he's been maybe the biggest scourge out of all of those uh, Seattle defenders over the years. Uh, just a guy that always seems to have a big game against the 49ers. 
And frankly, I, I thought that, you know, uh, the Seattle linebackers got a lot of airtime um, in the game against Denver, and they were savvy and this, that, and the other, but uh, they just don't have that speed anymore. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think that that's something that a 49ers offense, you know, one that has George Kittle, we should add, and that that's uh, up in the air. But uh, even without him, I think that's something that the 49ers can exploit. When I think about Trey Lance, my, my biggest thing about Trey Lance is, is now how does he come back after that first game? And, you know, there's been mixed stuff about him, things said about him. Good, he's still developing, all these things. I'm, I'm interested to see how he comes back in game two. Uh, see where his confidence level is. See see if he's, you know, if, if he's a guy that can kind of take it, constructive, you know, criticism, and then go out and, and play a football game. This is this is what I'm interested. In. I mean, I, I want to see more adversity, you know, him facing more adversity in the preseason, you know, going back in the field maybe after a turnover or something like, just kind of see how he reacts. So, you know, that's what I'm going to be focusing on. Just see how he comes back. He's got... You know, his running game's not going to be what he had against Chicago. Uh, Jeff Wilson Jr. is a good player. I like him a lot. But he, he doesn't he doesn't have what Elijah Mitchell has, that that downhill, that that speed to get outside and and, and his and, and to find these holes and put a foot in the ground and, and run downhill. So he's he's going to have the same running game. He's still got Debo. He's got Brandon Ayuk. Uh, I don't know if George Kittle is going to play with his growing. But um, I'm interested to see, you know, what's going to happen with him and his confidence level. And, you know, if he's going to have more confidence in his arm. I mean, you talk about those three throws. I need more than three throws from him. You know, I, I need him to run the offense and, and I need him, you know, big plays, splash plays. He's got some speed. Um, so, you know, I, it's, it's going to be interesting to see kind of how he comes back from game one to game two. And, you know, it's, you know, I, I don't know how long we can talk about his development uh, it may be an entire football season, but uh, I'm hoping, you know, that, uh, you know, he can exploit, like you said, those linebackers. They're not as fast or not as aggressive as Bobby Wagner. You know, if he can exploit that middle of the football field, but he's got to see the entire football field and he's got to be able to exploit that. But it, it's going to be interesting to see just kind of how he comes from game one to game two. You said Jimmy Garoppolo. I didn't think we we're going to talk about Jimmy, but someone said it already. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's still to me at practice. It's like this. It's it's weird. It feels like a time warp <laughs> when I just see, especially the way they're running these practices. For efficiency's sake, they had Brock Purdy back there with uh, the running backs, and then during like the throwing warm up portion of practice, it was only Lance and Garoppolo, and they weren't like taking turns. They were going at the same time, so they're like mirroring each other as they're throwing. It's a it's an efficiency thing the timing of practice and so you just see both trey and jimmy there and you know just like after all that we went through this off season it's it's just surreal because we had gotten used to seeing jimmy working out on the side field not with the 49ers now he's there uh with trey lance but anyway i digress back to trey lance and the development matt i think that it's just so important to realize you know how precise of of a calculation i think that the 49ers are making here and it's one that could come back to burn them for sure but you know i i tim kawakami wrote wrote about this in athletic the other day um it's it's a good piece but i thought that he worded it well if there were a game 
today or a game on Sunday, Jimmy Garoppolo might, I think, very arguably be the more efficient quarterback, be the better chance for the 49ers to win that particular game. But the 49ers are playing a sort of long game with this, and they're hoping when we talk about the development of Trey Lance that he learns quickly enough and he gets comfortable quickly enough that by the end of this season, he is the better option than Jimmy Garoppolo when you consider the mobility and when you consider the fact that he should improve the accuracy and, and his comfort within a couple of months. And if that does come to fruition, the 49ers feel that they'll be a better complete football team, more ready to challenge for a Super Bowl by the time that the playoffs roll around. Now, obviously, it's a massive risk, right? Because if you drop games in the short term, too many of them, because of Trey Lance, I'm not saying that last Sunday was because of him, but if that does happen, if you don't win as many as you can because of the quarterback situation now, because you're you know trying to develop a guy on the fly, then you can really hurt yourself in the long run. But as Tim wrote, the 49ers have made hundreds of smaller calculations, and they feel that this is the way to go. And that's what we're seeing develop right in front of our eyes. Yeah, there's definitely a, a long game, short game, sort of uh, balancing act going on here. And, and the, the, the thought was that, okay, well, while we're waiting for this development to occur, we've got this really fantastic defense. We've got a really good and diverse running game, and we've got an improved special teams. And, and I think that's what was so vexing for the 49ers in this week one opener is that all those three things were, were working really well. Um, they, they were great, in fact. They were just dominating the, uh, the Seahawks in all three, three of those phases. Um, and yet they lost 19 to 10. Uh, so um, it's, it, it seems like a great formula on paper. Uh, Dennis, as you know, uh, you know, all great plans go awry at some point. You just have to be able to react. Um, but um, yeah, I, I don't think that um, I don't think that Trey Lance's game, on Sunday in Chicago really either surprised or disappointed the 49ers brass. I think that's what they're sort of expecting from him uh, to begin the season. Some good, some bad, uh, a little bit of inconsistency. Uh, He was talking about some of the the short throws, which were his worst throws. Um, And I thought it was interesting that he was saying that, well, there was a reason why they were his worst throws because in in a wet game like that, you don't really have time to get a hold of the ball, kind of find the, the sweet spot on the ball, the dry spot, like you can when you're taking a, a seven-step drop or something like that. Uh, you know, the, the quickie throws, you get the ball and then you have to throw it. And, you know, uh, it, it, it can be a mess. The ball can be a mess. And that's why some of his were off. But, um, yeah, I think you have a great point. How does this guy react? Um, I think that his disposition this week has been – exactly the way you want it. He hasn't been defensive. Um, he said all the right things. The 49ers love the guy. They love the, the head on the shoulders, but you're absolutely right. I mean, you, you've got to see it on the field at some point, and it's going to be a really, really fun experiment to see how he reacts to, uh, you know, a disappointing loss on Sunday. Yeah. I, I don't know if fun's good. I mean, if, if he doesn't react well, it won't be very fun to watch this team struggle, but... Um, um, yeah, I mean, against Chicago, that first quarter, you know, it, it, I was good. You know, even those throws that he kind of he kind of missed. But, you know, I had the confidence in, in, in the defense. 
and, and special teams and, and the people around him. But when all that failed and, it, you know, he came back to his shoulders, you know, it fell on him, you know, that that's when I got a little bit discouraged. And I was thinking this could be a long football season because if that defense, you know, is, is not is not playing, you know, the way they can play or the way they played in that first half, because that first half defense dominated. Like, you know, I said in the show after the game, I thought the game was over at halftime. I was like, this defense, you know, Chicago can't do anything with this defense. And, and I look at the Seahawks offensive line. Their offensive line is not very good. So, again, this defense should be able to dominate. Uh, they've got good receivers like they always have. But, you know, I, I think the secondary is at a point where, you know, they're, they're learning. There's a lot of blown coverages. But in that first half, you know, they were able to kind of kind of uh, put, put the wraps on Chicago receivers. Now they, they have that second half on tape, and and believe me, Seahawks are watching it. So they're going to try to expose that that secondary a little bit. But I think that you know that front four can get get after uh, this uh, this uh, Seahawks offensive line. But you know Trey Lance is a quarterback. I mean he's he, he's got to make plays when plays need to be made, uh, and it falls on him. So the pressure is going to be on. I'm sure he. I mean he's played quarterback. He understands the pressure. Um, I don't know if he understands the pressure in the NFL, uh, you know, how, how quick, you know, people can turn on you. But uh, he's got to go out and he's got to have a very efficient and effective game against the Seattle Seahawks. Or then, you know, then we start talking about Jimmy Garoppolo again and, and if, if he's the best bet. So, you know, he's got the pressure. He's a young kid. I think he can handle it. But it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what happens on Sunday and how he shows up and how he performs. I think you bring up a good point, Dennis. The defense absolutely has to be the driver for the 49ers to, to give Trey Lance that, that runway. And they were for a half, and then they, they blew a couple coverages there in the second half, and that was enough to turn the game around against Chicago. Uh, speaking of the matchup they have this week, it's an intriguing one for the 49ers defensive line. Both of Seattle's starting offensive tackles are rookies. Charles Cross at left tackle he's their first round pick top 10 pick and then abraham lucas out of washington state so uh you know i i know dennis hoped that, that he coogs it in this game <laughs> at right tackle so uh lucas actually played better than cross the the third round pick lucas played better than the first rounder cross against denver on monday but you got to believe that nick bosa sense and ebucom charles and menahu those guys are all licking their chops i talked to ebucom and menahu in the locker room on wednesday they said all the right things they're not going to put out bulletin board material but let's be honest these are rookie offensive tackles making their second nfl start and the left tackle uh, charles cross did some good stuff for the seahawks on monday night but there were a lot of struggles there were i mean he gave up five pressures um, you know, a sack or two. I think the 49ers can get the Geno Smith. And Matt, they're going to have to get the Geno Smith. He's the man of the hour in the NFL right now. He's the literal poster child of the NFL after that game. Go to the NFL's Twitter. The banner pictures Geno Smith in his postgame interview. He opened up 17 of 18. He was 23 of 28. Kept it pretty short because obviously they had to work around the, the rookie tackles. So, you know, they weren't letting a lot of stuff develop too far downfield. But he did show elusiveness. That touchdown to Will Disley the, to open the scoring on Monday, that was a nice play. So Geno's coming into this game with a lot of confidence. He's the darling of the NFL right now, but he's playing behind an offensive line that is vulnerable, and the 49ers have to turn around the efficiency that he showed against Denver. Yeah, and obviously uh, elusiveness uh, killed the 49ers. Uh, I mean, uh, 
Uh, Justin Fields did not have a great game statistically, but he made the big plays when he needed to, including escaping um, from, once from Eric Armstead and the other time from Samson Ebucom, and, and both led to, to big plays. And yeah, I mean, I thought Geno Smith was uh, impressive. You know, just just what uh, Pete Carroll is looking for uh, a guy who a guy who keeps plays alive, who didn't throw any interceptions. I mean, uh, 23 of 28, that's 82%. Uh, I'm not going to bring up what Trey Lance's uh, completion percentage was. I um, will, 46. Yeah, it was about <laughs> half of what, uh, what Geno's was. So you're absolutely right. And, um, you know, one thing I think we should acknowledge was, uh, you know, I got a lot of, I, I do the, the mailbag during the week, and a lot of the questions were, what happened to Nick Bosa? What happened to that vaunted uh, pass rush? Well, the Bears just didn't throw the ball very much, eight times in the second half. And I thought, in looking back on it, um, Bosa really had a great game for what the game became, which was a running game. Uh, and he's known as a pass rusher, and he's sort of judged on how many sacks and pressures he gets. But he was playing the run very well. Um, in fact, I think he had uh, five tackles, five solo tackles, which I think tied a career high for him. Uh, so he's not a one-trick pony, and, and Dennis, I'm sure you sort of appreciated uh, the grit that uh, a game like that required from a defensive end. It's old-school football. You know, there was a time when, you know, you had two units. You had your base defense and you had your nickel, and most teams ran the ball first and second down, and you, you had to grind it out. And, I, you know, I love watching the way Nick Bosa plays. Yeah, he's known you know, as a pass rusher because that's what, you know, you're judged as a defensive end now in the NFL. But he does, he, he does play the run really well. I mean, he's, he you know, he's not, you know, these tackles are what now, 350 pounds and, you know, he's, you know, he's whatever, 250 or whatever he is, but he plays on the edge just like he, you know, he rushes the passer and, he, and, he, and he's so dang strong. And he's got the, that leg strength. But what I notice about Nick Bosa is that if he falls on the ground, he doesn't stay on the ground. I mean, he's jumping up. I mean, he's he, you know he, he starts with kind of a like kind of a crawl. We used to call it the bear crawl on all fours, and then he's sprinting, and you know, and that's huge, you know, for a defensive lineman not staying on the ground. That's what that's what you're taught. Don't stay on the ground. If you fall on the ground, jump up and find the ball. And I can just remember on it was I think it was a screenplay. Uh, Chicago ran a screenplay actually to his side. Uh, to the right side, he slipped in the rain, um, and then he jumped up and he made the tackle. So I mean, he's—I mean—he's a guy. His effort is always 120 percent, and you know he's going fast. But you know he plays the run really. Well. I mean, he's known for his pass rush, but he's a fantastic player when it comes to defending the run. You don't see many many balls getting outside of him. You don't see him losing contain. Because he's got the fundamentals down, he knows what his what his you know what his job is to contain, turn everything inside, and then he finds the ball. I mean, he runs across the field, he runs down the field. So you know his effort level's really high, and that's that whole defensive line. Eric Armstead's the same way. You'll see him on screens, you know, running the ball ball carry down from behind. Javon Kinlaw's got a way to go on it, but uh, that are the, those are the fundamentals of being a good defensive lineman in the NFL. Is not staying on the ground and finding the ball and making tackles down the field. Well, let's talk about another very important matchup or two. And, you know, you guys already alluded to the 49ers secondary. We talked about some of the blown coverages. Well, 
the secondary obviously wants to tighten those up, but the matchups this week between the 49ers cornerbacks and their nickelback against Seattle's receivers are much, much more intriguing than they were last week. In fact, I would go out and say that the 49ers corners weren't challenged last week. But the 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 fact that the game was played in a monsoon helped, but the Bears just personnel-wise uh, are, are not strong at receiver. Let's be honest. Dante Pettis is, is on that team, and it's not like Dante Pettis was working to get open in that game. He was just standing all alone on that 51-yard touchdown. So I, I didn't think that Charvarius Ward was you know, really pushed against the Chicago Bears. And I don't really remember Emmanuel Mosley really pushed downfield in that game either. So this, it's things are going to change in this game. In fact, it's DK Metcalf on the other side. So DK against Charvarius Ward, this is the reason why the 49ers brought Ward in because there are a lot of alpha receivers that the 49ers are going to have to face on an NFL schedule. And the first one is coming at Charvarius Ward in this game. It was funny, Charvarius was at his locker today. I, I was able to quickly ask him. I had to double check because I didn't think that he had faced DK yet because the Chiefs didn't play um, the Seahawks over the past few years, and he didn't. And then, you know, as soon as we chatted really b- briefly, he he took a nap, Matt. They, they have this new nap napping technique in the locker room where – they set up their chair in front of the locker. They kick their legs out on the chair, and then they just bury their head into like the, uh, the all the clothes that are on a hanger in the locker stall. So it's like blackout curtains. So Charvarius Ward was sleeping during during the media availability today, but this is going to be his first chance against uh, DK Metcalf, and he's getting all the rest that he can ahead of a, a big test against a really strong, fast, physical receiver. Yeah, I don't think Dennis could have fit inside any of those uh, those lockers <laughs> back in the day because wow. there were there were no no because the lockers were smaller. They got the new the new gigantic locker room now, Dennis. Matt, uh, Matt's backpedaling. Holy mackerel! No, Dennis. But it's true. It's true, Dennis. Those those lockers were tiny back back then, right? Well, yeah, they they were small. But if I wanted to, I could have got in the locker, Matthew. Please. Oh, I'm, so, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to offend there. Oh, uh, but to, anyway, to, your to thoughts answer, on Charvarius Ward? Yeah, all right. I thought, well, we're talking about the secondary, and I, I think the other component of the secondary is that um, that game in Chicago was custom made for. Talano Hufanga and for Tashawn Gibson, um, it, because it was such a, a run-oriented game, no no real downfield game at all. Neither of those guys is very fast, uh, so they're both really strong safeties, and that kind of makes me wonder, what's it going to be like on uh, a faster surface against uh, guys like DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett that can move? So that, that's going to be an element that's uh, entirely different than the game against the Bears, and it'll put those two guys to the test. Can Hufanga's instincts make up for his lack of, of foot speed? I think that's going to be sort of a, a year-long question for him and came through with flying colors on Sunday. It'll be a different challenge uh, against Seattle. Yeah, and like I said, they you know that Chicago tape is, I'm sure it's it's being ran back and back and back. Um to in the in the receiver room, coordinator room at, in Seattle. I mean, you know, uh, Jimmy Ward's not back there. Your quarterback's not in the secondary, and I think in the second half they're really exposed because there's a lot of busted coverages. So whatever it was that Chicago did to confuse the 49ers secondary, guess what? They're going to try it again, or and they're going to go back to it until 
you know, the 49ers show that they have, that secondary has showed that they can cover and, and, and they're not getting confused. But I watched DK Metcalf and, you know, he is, he's a beast, but he's a guy, there's some opportunities, you know, and I think in Monday night game, I mean, getting the ball out because he's so focused, everybody's been focused on his size and his speed uh, and his ability to run through people and run over people. I think he's kind of caught up in it. So it's an opportunity if you gang tackle him, he's so focused on running over people and staying up, you can strip the ball out. You can make some plays on him. But that secondary will be tested. You know, Tyler Lockett, I mean, he's been a 49er killer for years. I mean, he's a guy that, you know, it's all about the big plays. And, and Geno Smith, he's got the confidence now. Like you said, he's a darling of the NFL. I mean, he, he thinks he is the Russell Wilson now. So he's going to have a lot of confidence. So I expect, you know, the, the Seattle Seahawks to, to uh, try to exploit this, this secondary, 49ers secondary, early in the football game and try to put some points on the board. So they've got to play sound. They got to be out. Their assignments, they have to be on their assignments because they're going to get tested early. And those corners will get tested early. And we didn't see Marquise Goodwin. I don't know if I saw him make any plays, but he's a speed guy. I mean, he can get behind the defense. So they got to be aware and they can't have any blown coverages or, you know, they, you know, they can put some points on the board real fast. And we saw, you know, in the second half against Chicago, how quickly that can happen. Yeah, I mean, the NFL really hates the 49ers. They set it up for the Dante Pettis revenge game, followed by the Marquise Goodwin revenge game. He could get both in back-to-back weeks. But uh, good point, though, uh, on DK Metcalf. I, when you talked about him you know, getting stripped, I, I, I remember back to that phenomenal play that Jaquaski Tart made in 2019. Remember that when Metcalf was about to cross the goal line? That was crazy. That was a great game. Yeah. 49ers yeah. lost that one and. In, in in overtime, that was the, the the backup kicker game, right? Chase McLaughlin made one to force overtime, and then had a chance to win it and kicked it into the tunnel. <laughs> so uh, along the lines of special teams, uh, Mike, Mike Sando um, was tweeting back and forth with me. He, he he works for us at the Athletic. He's great with all the numbers, um, and you know I I had tweeted about the Seahawks. They seem to be a team that always does you know relatively well when they're outgained and i it's true he mike sando looked it up he said since 2010 the seahawks are 36 and 50 when outgained which is actually really good that's sixth best in the nfl and six and four they have a winning record against the 49ers when they've been outgained by them over the past 11 years or so and then he broke it down even further in in those games that in which the seahawks have been outgained their offense and their defense has performed below average but their special Special teams has performed way above average. In fact, last year, both times against the 49ers, Seahawks outgained in those games, and they won. The the Seahawks picked up 25 expected points on special teams. And Mike says, this is his quote, the Seahawks would have lost both times against the 49ers last year had they just been average on special teams. But they picked up over three touchdowns worth of points on special teams. So uh, good for the 49ers, Matt, that Brian Schneider is now their special teams coordinator because it seems to be that you know they've subtracted him from Seattle's equation, right? He used to be the guy that was their coordinator for all those years, and now uh, the 49ers have a coordinator who has proven to, to, to have made a difference in the past in these types of games and uh, the 49ers need to hope that they win that special teams battle because Seattle has burned them with it so many times in the past. Yeah, I, th- I think that's uh, something that the 49ers are counting on this season and, and probably counting on in these uh, Seattle matchups. 
Um, and, and uh, you know, we didn't really get a good look at it in Chicago um, because you had to be cautious with the rain. But I just think it's going to be a more aggressive, more risk-taking special teams unit. Um, and that's what that's what we've seen from Seattle. I mean, the, the Travis Homer TD last year in Seattle was, was just a backbreaker for the 49ers. Um, yeah, that's how a team that doesn't have a lot of talent up and down its roster, which Seattle is, that's how a team like that wins. And uh, good on, on Pete Carroll for, for knowing that, for taking the, the, the necessary risks. And uh, it sounds like, it, it feels like he's in the process of kind of uh, building that team again to be like those ones that we were just discussing uh, started to emerge in 2011. 2012, uh, a decade ago. Special teams is, you know, people don't really think about special teams until, you know, the things like uh, the Green Bay divisional game when you block a, a, a punt and you end up winning a football game. But the special teams are important. And I, I, I just don't, I, I'm just trying to think back. I can't think of a time when, you know, the, the 49ers had a, uh, a strong special teams where, you, you know, when they went out there, you know, it could be a punt return. It could be a kickoff, you know, for, for you know, cross the field. It was 2011. 2011. That was and it, yeah. Ironically, Kyle Williams fumbled in all those times in the championship game. It was so ironic because they yeah. were so good up until then, right? It was like yeah, the, it was the inverse of this past year when they were terrible, but then they won that Green Bay game on special teams. To be able to flip the field like on a punt or, or a kickoff, you know, cross the fifty yard line. I mean, that is. I mean, that is huge. I mean, that that is just huge. And just haven't seen it. And you know, you know, Rob. Like I said, Robbie Goal. I mean, he's the star of the special teams, and he's the kicker. I mean, so it, it's it, it. Special teams is is that. It's a special team, and it, it's got to be a group of guys that go out and just make plays and just hustle and make plays. And it's been a while, so I'm looking forward to you know, hopefully, some explosive plays you know, on, on special teams this season. All right, guys, prediction time as we wrap no, this up. No, no, no predictions. You, you, okay. <laughs> no predictions. Oh, did we not do predictions. them Predictions. Uh, we did. We did them a little bit. I, I, I'm tough on predictions because, I don't know, I, it's just tough for me to do predictions. But let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Are you sure? You can abstain if you want to. Let's do it. Let's All right. We're going to do it. I think the 49ers are going to win, move to one and one. I think they'll put up 24 I think they win this 24-13. Yeah, I was going to go uh, 26-17. Um, I sort of like the fact that, you know, Seattle coming on a, off a short week, that was an, an emotional win, even for Seattle, and I realize that they they live on emotion. Um, but uh, I'm not sure that all of the players there, a lot of them are new, are sort of used to that yet, and uh, sometimes when you have a, a rousing victory like that, you're a little flat for the next week. So I'm uh, I'm thinking that might happen to the Seahawks, and whereas the 49ers really are kind of gunning to get uh, on the on the winning side. So what did I say? 26-17, 49ers. Yeah, I mean short week, um, but you, you know you got to remember we talked about him. Head coach is Pete Carroll. That's right. These guys That's up. right. And I, and I really think that, you know, Pete Carroll loves coming to Levi's. He loves coming home. You know, I, I think he'll have his guys fired up. Uh, I think he likes beating up on the 49ers a little bit because he's a hometown type kind of guy. But I think the defense shows up. I think, you know, these tackles, 
They get beat up a lot. I don't think I don't think Geno Smith comes out and plays the game he did against Monday night. Uh, I think the secondary gets it together. I think the 49ers win this football game, but I think it's going to be a close game. I, I feel like it's going to be close. So I'm going to say 27-21, 49ers. All right. That's... Uh... That is close. That's I think the spread it surprised some people is about ten. It grew from like eight to ten around there. So that that one is within the spread and Matt and I what what was it for you, Matt? Twenty six seventeen. Yeah. I mean I think that spread is 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 motivation for the Seahawks. That's that's a lot higher than I thought it would be. Uh it was ten points at one point. I, this this is running on Thursday, so I don't know if it's gonna change, but ten seems uh a little bit too high. I don't know. Well, basically, Vegas is saying that they they thought that week one was a fluke, that that they're not reading the week one. I think before the season started, you know, everybody was like, oh, Seattle's going to be terrible. 49ers are really talented. Um, That would have made, you know, more sense in the public eye. But obviously, Seattle beating Denver, regardless of how it happened, and the 49ers losing to Chicago kind of skews excuse the momentum of both teams i guess a little bit but we'll see that's why we play the games to figure out who's good and who's not and we're still trying to figure all that out here as we enter week two anyway for matt barrows and dennis brown this is david lombardi we'll talk to you after the fort anders play seattle on sunday this has been the here's the catch podcast everybody have a good rest of your week